Don't be ashamed to learn things that you need to know. Here's Sexplanations with Dr. Doe. All right, Sexplanations podcast episode 10. I'm Lindsay Doe, a sexologist and online sex educator. Joining me today is Shannon Boudram, a sexologist and online sex educator. Both of us have private practices. We go to schools and teach in person. We have YouTube channels and podcasts. We talk about our personal sex lives openly, and we love our vibrator necklaces. Yes, we do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, I was thinking about all these things that we have in common and just so excited to talk to you and, and troubleshoot. What I really want to talk about with you in particular is one of the biggest pitfalls I see with people where in their relationships and sex lives, they have this very black and white thinking of either I win or I lose, you change or you get the hell out, we have anal sex or I'm not going to be happy. And I want the Shanboudram opinion on how to troubleshoot this. You know what? I watched the movie Girls Trip last night and it was, um, you know, Esther Perel. I'd read, just finished her book yesterday and it's called Mating in Captivity. And it talked about that, how we live in a world where we're so prone to quit and we're, we encourage people to give up and it's my way or the highway. And if you mm. don't have your needs met exactly, then again, like we're encouraged to leave a relationship. It doesn't fulfill us and all those needs. So the movie Girls Trip, I was watching, I was a little infuriated because I'm like, oh, this is pushing the same agenda wherein that there's a specific way on how to love. And if you don't fit that criteria, then you're the problem and I have to leave you and I got to find somebody else who will do what you won't do. Um, and so I think that, that that's a cultural issue where in that, you know, our ideas have shifted where two generations back, our grandparents were like, well, we'll put up with anything, you know, we're going to stay yeah. in a marriage where we're not happy, we have separate bedrooms, maybe one of our partners is abusive, but this is what marriage is, we'll stay together. And then the rebellion of that, the next generation is that love conquers all. And if you don't love me correctly, then I'm walking away because clearly you're the wrong fit. And in actuality, the real probably healthiest way is somewhere in between. Um, I think love is a, a healthy mix of, of compromise and compatibility. And also, it's also knowing, and don't get me wrong, when it's like, yes, you have to listen to the needs of others, but you have to also be honest enough to say, those aren't needs that I can have met. Um, but I think separating yourself from the cultural push to walk away and put your finger up in someone's face and tell them where to go if they won't do what you want to do, you have to separate <laughs> yourself from that. And then you can find a more rational approach of, okay, what is the balance between me accommodating my partner and me honoring what I actually will and won't do? As per my poster says, which I'm so excited about. Oh, yeah, you just got a sexplanations want, well, won't poster. I, that's so cool of you. Thank you for doing that. But I think that that's probably a great step as well, too, because a lot of people don't really premeditate about that, about, okay, what are the things that I'm willing to compromise are? What are my hard yeses and my hard noes? And having that laid out before makes it easier when you're faced with those situations to really logically understand or assess how you should respond, not emotionally. Oh, I think that's the first time that I ever thought of it as a hard yes. Hearing you say that, it brings this new awakening to me that, oh, yeah, there are things that have to be in my life, that it's not just what I desire, but a hard yes, just like a hard no, is things that cannot be in my life. What are your so hard that, yeses? What are my hard yeses? Uh, consent, I think, is a big one. Safety, not shaming me for either my career or my sexuality. So if I want to masturbate rather than having sex, like that gets to be celebrated and not shamed. I guess <laughs> I'm just reframing my... My hard nose, though. No, I mean, that's what it is. I actually literally wrote a list about this. 
This you did? I am. It's, it's in the garbage right now. <laughs> no! I know, I should put this up on a wall somewhere. Um, yeah, this is my how to love me list. And it says, lots of physical touch, um, help me get shit done. It's very important to me. I grew up in a family where that was important, where family was about, you get the groceries, I'll do the cooking. So the yin and the yang is deeply, it's Aww. a hard yes for me. Yeah. Uh, nurture my strengths, help me to see, manage my weaknesses, be good to my people, and asterisk all people. Uh, tell me how you feel, don't hide your truth from me, and lots of sunshine. So those are my hard yeses. Those are mine. That's so beautiful. <laughs> I hope you make that into a poster. I know, right? Yeah. Oh, it's so beautiful. That's really cool. I'm just going to hand out um, a bronze plaque to everybody who knows me. Like, these are the rules. <laughs> you can't abide well. by them. Get out. <laughs> do you want to do this little segment with me before we get into more on this? Yes, I do. Okay, so... What we do is a multiple choice question in honor of our podcast supporters at patreon.com slash sexplanations. I believe you have a Patreon, don't you? I don't. We had this discussion that I'm deeply oh, inspired no. by yours. And I started one. I just haven't pushed forward, but I think okay, that yours okay. is awesome. Well, maybe that this will encourage you to push. So this show exists because of our patrons' help, uh, ideas, encouragement. It all means a ton to me. And in particular, we have people who pledge at what's called the boss level. Uh, those individuals are Donna Flint, Matty O'Sullivan, Laura Schuster, Paul Nixon, and the Millers who get a shout out and this dedicated question, which I'm going to pull from. What's your sexual IQ by Eve Marks? All right. Shout out to the boss level people. That sounds so yeah. cool. I want to be part of that club. <laughs> <laughs> do it. Everybody do it. I'm just going to flip through this because it's like how to decide whether or not you are a sex expert. And I've done some of these questions and gotten them wrong. Um, so it's just meant to be fun. <laughs> not I'm, actually I'm already having great. I love quizzes. This is amazing. <laughs> right? Uh, the average penis is how many inches when flaccid? A, 5.2 inches. B, 6.1 inches. C, 3.5 inches, or D, 2.2 inches? I'm going to go with C. Yay! Yay. Because yeah, five is the average hard one, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, it gains some, some length. Yeah. I mean, most people are, are growers, not showers. Yes. And we are sex experts, so this is why we get it correct, right? Okay. I actually got a question yesterday from somebody who was 19 who was like, I am deathly afraid of being sexually involved with people because I only have a six-inch penis, and I'm a, I just don't, I'm mortified that someone's going to say it's small. And I'm like, well, if you're so scared, why didn't you go online and look up the average penis size and know that you're fine? Like, if this is such a con great concern for you, why not take one extra step? But he's like, I watch a lot of porn. I'm like, well, there, here's your problem. Um, yeah, I mean, six, that's larger than half the population. But when you watch pornography where the average person is probably eight to ten if and upwards, um, then you have a different perception. And so I was explaining because I was reading that in Thailand, their pornography looks like real people because their attitude towards sex from a very young age is very like accepting. They understand that it's a healthy part of the human process. But because Americans have this very weird relationship with sexuality, we don't want our porn to look like us. So we want massive boobs. We want massive penises. We want larger than life scenes. We want it to be an exaggeration, almost like a cartoon, because if it mm -hmm. felt too close to home, it would make us feel uncomfortable and dirty. Uh, so that was interesting. That is really interesting. 
it brings us to the split thinking where, you know, it's either this way or that way, right? It's exaggerated or we feel ashamed. So, Shambuti, what do we do about it? I think you mean that that's the great answer of the internet. Um, you have to take <laughs> it into your own hands. You know, if you are watching one form of media or watching one form or listening to one form of media that doesn't feel right to you, seek out other ones until you find something that feels more of your middle ground. And oftentimes what we're fed by the mass media isn't really the one size fits all. It very rarely is. And so I think when it comes to sex education, there is this balance. I mean, obviously we're on a different level because we're aware, like I know of so many amazing sex educators and websites and podcasts, et cetera. And so when people are completely in the dark about how to start to build their own frame of reference, I'm like, what are you talking about? Like there's so many tools out there. Um, Mm. But I do think that there is a responsibility to enlighten people on where to go to find that out. So I think it's really hard to figure out what your yeses and nos and maybes are if you don't even know what questions to ask to begin with. Right. What are some of the questions you encourage or ask in your own life? Uh, What makes me feel healthy and happy? And Mm. how can that not impinge on the health or happiness of others? You know, I asked myself, I was reading a book recently about fantasy and I fantasize a lot and I never really thought, I don't watch a lot of pornography, which I should, but I just haven't found. Uh, Hannah was saying to me that she subscribes now to like this amazing porn site and she's like, it makes me watch more porn now because I have, I'm paying for the subscription and I'm like, oh, Aww. I should really get into one of those, um, but I don't, but I fantasize a lot. And I never really questioned myself or thought about what that link to my fantasies were and what that was saying about the way that I viewed sex or that my deepest desires of sex. So it's always, it's oftentimes asking yourself that extra question about things that are already, you know, in your frame of reference. You know, why do I feel turned on when I put this music on? Why do these clothes make me feel good? Why do these clothes make me feel bad? What do my fantasies say about me? What does, what angers say about me? And when you start to really like, you know, my favorite quote is the unexamined life is not worth living. When you ask yourself those those extra questions, then you start to piece it together like, oh, okay, like this is who I am and this is what works for me. Um, and when you've gone through that process, I also feel like you're less likely to be angry or judgmental about others because you understand that it's just really unique and it's not personal. It's not about anybody else when it comes down to it. It's really about who you are. You're so wise. So wise. What are your questions to ask yourself? I'm curious. Gosh, I'm still kind of rolling around in everything that you said and bathing in it because I think it's so beautiful. But yeah, to answer my question that I that you're asking me is, I think communication is the big piece. And so it's me trying to understand what the other person actually needs and what they're afraid of. So, you know, Ooh. and and I might not know that for myself like what do I need and what am I afraid of and then what do they need and what they're afraid of and then we're actually having a conversation about what's going on and not what we think is going on so I tell this story I've, and I've told it on Sexplanations YouTube before about these two people who both really want an orange and there's one orange so they are in this conundrum of either you get it or I get it. You're happy or I'm happy. And how through more dialogue, they find out that one person needs the orange for the rind so that they can take it off and uh, use the the gratings. The, yeah, the rind. Is the for, rind the peel? Yeah. Okay, I didn't even yeah, know that. Yeah. <laughs> Because we're in the sex world, not the culinary world. (laughs) Anyone in the culinary world, feel free to tell us in the comments the parts of an orange. But so the the peel, they use the peel to flavor strawberry rhubarb pie. 
and they need the whole peel of a whole orange, but they don't need the inside part that you would eat, and the other person wants to eat all of that or have all of the juice for something. And so when they can have a longer conversation, they realize that this person can have everything that they want and this person can have everything they want. They just, you know, their fears got in the way of knowing how to get there. That's awesome. Because, right, like if I'm afraid that you're going to take my orange and I'm not going to be able to finish my pie, then I'm coming at you with aggression and like you're threatening me. And if I can instead look and hear what you actually need and approach it there with patience and kindness and love, then then we get a pie and an orange and life is better than we could have ever imagined. Yeah. And I think as you both wanted the rind, notice how I added that word in the vocabulary, <laughs> then you'd be able to find a way. It's like, okay, like how can we work together to get an extra orange or how do we share what we existingly have? But it's so true. Like oh, I, yeah. I found that a long time ago too, that for me, a lot of times when I was responding with anger, or confusion or pain to things, it's because I just didn't take the time to understand it. And understanding and being level-headed encourages other people to exist from the same place or respond from the same way. So I think it's a really, really cool story. I think about, I, I have actually even thought about that in terms of what am I afraid of, especially in my sexuality. So that's a good one to meditate on. Good. We can give it to our audience's homework every week. We assign extra credit for them to do when they're not listening. And uh, from episode one, they've started a journal, or hopefully they have, where they can track that homework. So uh, we can come up with more homework to give them, but maybe as a starting <laughs> point, uh, writing down what you're afraid of and what you need. And then also um, Shannon's suggestions about looking at yourself first before approaching the other person and figuring out what in you need some self-love helmet hell yeah i just wrote down the homework for myself so i can go back to that later oh <laughs> that's wonderful so what is your favorite thing to talk about in terms of sex i love i love talking about how people experience pleasure i think that's always fun and eye-opening for me and whenever i get together with someone new it's like the first thing i want to figure out is you know what is your thing what do you love um, and also, you know, seeing all the different variances of how people experience pleasure is very fascinating because we always have this struggle with ourselves that we're not doing it enough, we're not doing it the right way. And especially when it comes to women and the whole debate over female sexual pleasure and female sexual orgasm, I always think it's really interesting to have that conversation. I love talking about... I love talking about um, science, so I love it. I, I, I just honestly, got so excited. <laughs> Because in my dream world, you know how with the food industry, there was like a massive re-education that, that happened like five years ago. Like yeah, when I was yeah. growing up, we had bread, milk, and cheese, and dessert as part of a healthy, balanced diet. Like, oh, yeah, mm -hmm. you're supposed to have, like, cereal was, like, a healthy breakfast. And now we're like, no, that shit is toxic. Like, those things are not healthy. They do not have nutritional value to them. These were lobbying boards who pushed them. It's, and the reason why you're drawn to these fatty foods is because you're designed to take in foods that are high in calories because we're supposed to live in an environment where we don't get enough each day. And so when you have something that feels like it's gonna it has sustenance to it your body says more and more and more 
And when we know that about ourselves, we can start making better and healthier decisions about food that aren't just based on desire or want. And the same thing has to happen with relationships and love. We have to understand that the biological motivators that are happening inside of us, why we're drawn to certain kinds of relationships. And again, like what are the outdated DNA models that are making us behave in ways that no longer serve us in a modern society where we have total choice? And this, you know, it's almost like gluttony of love. And so I'm like, yo, in five years from now, I no longer want to hear people talk about that terrible relationship that makes them feel like complete poo-poo, doesn't serve them at all, and that isn't teaching them any valuable lessons in terms of what they need. It's only teaching them what they don't need. And I don't want to hear that person say anymore, well, I can't get over them. And so, you know, I just just know love is hard. We have to work it out. I want to be like, you're addicted. You're not cosmically bound to this person. You are chemically bound. Like, why are we having this discussion? You know, it's like a heroin addict who's talking about their, like, love affair with heroin. We're like, no, you don't love heroin. You just have an addiction that your brain has created. Um, And so I hope that that becomes a thing in the next few years where we now have a better understanding of what love is in the brain and on the body so that we can make healthier choices. And I always talk about the difference between uh, comfort and healthy. Like comfort foods are like pizza and ice cream. Like they're really, really like high in calories, not healthy, but they make you feel good in the moment. Healthy foods, you know, are broccoli. We don't think about grabbing a tub of broccoli when we're going through heartache. We think about that thing that makes us feel good in the moment. And a lot of relationships are comfort relationships. They're not healthy relationships. Uh, And there's a place for those, don't get me wrong, but I don't think it should be like an everyday indulgence. Wow. Have you written that all down? You know, <laughs> no, that's I beautiful. Um, I mean, I always loved the food metaphor for sex. Always, me too. It's such an easy one to go to with, like either grocery shopping or do you make your meals? And because people have this idea with sex that it needs to be spontaneous, and food is one of those things where, yeah, you can go and get McDonald's really quickly, or you can decide you're hungry and stop at a taco shop. But there is also a place for organizing the ingredients and preparing those in advance and deciding what you're going to put on the grocery list so that you're using your time and and your your nutritional brain wisely. And then they're like, oh, okay, it is okay for me to put sex on the calendar. Yeah, it totally is. So you're not eating macaroni and cheese every day. Yes. Esther just talked about this because she was counseling a couple where one of them was a chef And on days that he wanted to spoil his partner, he would go and get all the best ingredients around Italy. And he would like travel uptown for like the meat and then travel downtown for the dessert and then go to the market for like the perfect uh, wine afterwards. And in the end, it was like create this really beautiful experience. And she was like, how come you acknowledge that's okay to do that with food? But when it comes to sex, you know, if it isn't instantaneous in the moment, it's not good. And then he was like, because, Mm. you know, there's just, it's not, it's something magical about things just happening. And you're like, yeah, but like what other good things just happen? Um, And sometimes they do. Sometimes we have great macaroni and cheese. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we, I mean, you might not have written that down, but you've written down other things. Let's talk about your book. Yay. (laughs) I always want to talk about your book. I, I loved it. It was a really great, it was my first experience as a sexual educator. So my origins, I went to school for journalism and day mm-hmm. one of journalism school, they say, write what you know. And if you know politics, you write about politics. If you know sports, you write about sports. And I, at the time I was just deeply passionate about human sexuality. 
I had had a super shitty teen sex life. I didn't even ask you. Can we swear? Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> I'm like just potty mouthing it over here. I had a super shitty teen sex life uh, with all the negative you know, experiences, experiences that one can have. And when I got out of it, when I was 19, I was like, there has to be more. And so I got myself a library card and started researching about sex because everything that I had learned through osmosis had steered me in the wrong direction. And then I was like, there needs to be somebody who bridges this together and makes this information accessible. And mm. also the fact that there's something like, I was watching Gossip Girl at the time, which is a TV show. And Gossip Girl is about real people, sexy storylines, and you follow along and you get engaged with their love lives because you're invested in the people. And sex education rarely does that. It's like faceless information and facts and figures that you can't connect mm -hmm. to. And so my book was really about how do I bridge good information together with like sexy storylines, making it interesting and fun to read, but at the same time you're going to walk away seeing things a little differently. Um, so that was laid and I started doing that project. It took me four years for it to get published because I had to collect stories. And this was kind of prior to the trust of the internet. So when mm -hmm. I was reaching out to people to ask, like, hey, can you share a story about sex that you've experienced that has changed you in some way? People were like, oh, I bet you're some old creepy guy just masturbating to these. I'm going to report you to the police. And I'm like, no, I'm 19 and I'm not doing oh, that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So it took a long time to collect enough stories uh, that I felt were diverse. And even to this day, there's some things that are missing from that book that, you know, I wish I could go back and add. Like, I could not for the life of me find a male to talk about an experience of uh, assault. And there were a couple who had reached out, and then I would pursue to get the story from them, and then they would disappear. And I understand probably why, because it's very difficult to tell that story, and it's not told enough. Um, but Laid was an attempt to tell the stories of people who were experiencing love and sex and making mistakes and making triumphs and you know what that meant for them and what everyone could learn from each experience. Aww. I would love to see the male perspective added there. Do you think that you can have a second edition? I, I mean, I could. I mean, my current publisher, I'd ask them about it, and they were like, no. So, I mean, there's no? always one that you can do by yourself. Um, yeah, I mean, that's just the publishing industry is definitely hard, and I started that book when I didn't have a following. And that was mm -hmm. one of the things I think that maybe both of us have learned is that I remember you told me the story of if you can get 100 people to know your name, or was it 100,000? I don't know. Tell me the rest of the story. You Sounds said you were like, you wrote it down somewhere that you wanted. Oh, yeah. On a chopstick wrapper, I wrote that I wanted 80,000 people to know who I was. 80,000? Like, mm -hmm. That's so specific. Yeah. I was going to self-actualize that shit. So why not? Yeah. And it worked. And soon after that, there was Sexplanations the Channel, which wasn't in my mind when I was writing the chopstick wrapper, but... It became real to me because I, th I think when you put that kind of energy out there, you believe that it's possible in the first place, and then you just wrap your brain around it regularly by looking at something that reminds you of that goal. For me, it was the chopstick wrapper. Then you figure out ways to make it happen. Do you think that the universe aligned around that once you put it? Do you believe in the secret, I guess I'm asking? I have lots of beliefs. I'm kind of agnostic about all of it. Of like, I don't know what it is that makes things work or not work. And I'm just thankful that they do when they do. And I love hypothesizing about what it could have been. But I don't know if it was the secret at work. Because <laughs> if so, you would, I would have had a million dollars by now. I'd be writing that down all over the place. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think that that, um, 
that was a big piece of it for me is that I always knew I wanted to do sex ed in the media and out loud. And when I wrote the book, I didn't have the audience behind me. And so when it came out, I didn't really have anyone to push it to. And I learned from that experience that it's important to have a voice and it's important to have experience and it's important for, um, for you to know what you're talking about, but you also have to have people to talk to. And we don't live in the world anymore, unfortunately, where any a lot of companies have the ability to make that magnificent voice for you. You know, you have to build your own audience first. And so doing late, I guess, was an experience for me in that. And so the book was an amazing experience and I learned a lot and I got to travel and do cool things. But was it the big push to the next level for me? No, it wasn't. Uh, and that was mostly because of the fact that, again, I hadn't cultivated an audience to begin with. I was relying on the publishing company to do that, which is why now, they're now, you know, like, from that experience, no, even though I've grown since then. So get over yourselves. <laughs> you have. I mean, I didn't know you back then, but I, for myself, just know that going from age 19 to where I'm at now at 35, that I am a vastly different person and how thankful I am for those years, not just because in that time I've read more or I've watched more, et cetera, but because my own personal experiences and view have changed to make a new Lindsay. And I feel like I'm an entirely different person than I was back then. And that's, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So are you going to, are you going to write another book? Are you allowed to talk about that? I mean, I would definitely like to. I would like it to be under the right circumstances this time where I feel supported. And honestly, I would love to write a fiction novel. When I really think about why I originally got into doing sex ed. So, for example, there's a show right now called The Bold Type. It's on Freeform. And it's essentially about three girls who work at Cosmo. And I wrote all of the articles for the main character. And that was, it's my original vision of sex ed was how can I take the sexy characters and interesting storylines and the attention grabbing nature of media and apply truth and, and solid information to that. And so I'm always kind of searching for that opportunity. And so that was an amazing way for me to plug myself into a fictional world that doesn't always have an open arm to factual sex ed that allowed me to tell interesting or to tell real stories uh, in interesting fake ways. So I would love to do a fictional novel that is a coming of age story that talks about sex ed in a way that the average person would consume, not just the people who are like directly interested in improving their sex life. Because it's a very bizarre thing. There are... You know, even to the point I was saying about that, you know, 19-year-old boy who was disappointed about his penis size, it doesn't occur to a lot of people to educate themselves sexually. It just simply doesn't. So you almost have to find Mm -hmm. out where they are to educate them uh, sort of serendipitously versus expecting that the average person is going to be like, huh, this could improve my life and my experience (laughs) on this planet. Let me go to Google. It just doesn't happen, unfortunately. Oh, my gosh. I love your idea. Or a TV show, a fictional TV show yeah. that happens oh. to include a sex educator. There is one on YouTube called Sex Ed the Series. I don't know what happened to it, um, but it had like 20 million views. And I honestly think a friend of mine went to University of Berkeley, and I think it was based on her school because it was college-age students who had this sex ed class that a lot of people did just for the extra credit, but it was like an incredible class and everybody learned a lot. They had these cool um, experiments or homework that they had to do. And so I don't know, that series was really, I wish I could just steal that idea. Um, but I don't know whatever came of it. It had like two episodes and then it just kind of went away. But yeah, that, You're gonna come I think up with that your own, formula works. Really awesome. Yes, my own. Yeah, I believe in it. I've really wanted to write 
a novel called The Death Control Pill. The Death Control yeah. Pill? Yeah, that's about, you know how we have, you know, a birth control pill so that we can decide whether or not to have children. I want to write a fictional novel about what life would be like if we had a pill that you could access at a certain age. Everybody gets one and you choose when you can die. That is so interesting. Well, so we we both have writing assignments. I know. <laughs> That's interesting because like my initial thought would be like who who would ever stop because would you continue to age or would you stop would you freeze time as you began to take the pill? No, you would die. You would die once you took the pill. Yeah. Oh, isn't that just like so? At any, yeah, but everyone gets one, so it's very normalized. Like you, okay, we ha- we now have the ability to live a really really long time, and we want people to have some autonomy over not doing that. And so at a certain age, I don't know what the age would be. Uh, My future self will figure that out. But everyone is given this magenta pill and they can keep it wherever they choose and they can do with it whatever they want and have some autonomy. That's fascinating. I I like that. That's like a really good sci-fi movie in the making. Girl, you can make a blockbuster (laughs) off that. (laughs) Yes. Because I I think that a lot of the conversations that I have with sexologists are about choice. And so, I don't know, for me at least, there's this fascination with death and autonomy and euthanasia the same way that there's a fascination with being able to choose for yourself whether or not you have sex and what that sex means to you. And that there's not just, you know, one option or another, but that they're infinite possibilities. No, I agree with that. I think it's a beautiful thing too. And I'm, we both went to the Institute and the first day that I went to school there, the instructor was like, I just want everyone to be clear that you're not studying life. You're studying the, you're studying creation. You're studying how and why. I'm sorry, you're, mm. not, you're not studying sex. You're studying creation. You're studying how and why. And the point was that everything is motivated in some ways uh, by the fact that we are here, we're sexual beings, and that our greater goal is to be able to reproduce, even though, of course, now we have that as a choice. It's no longer, you know, heavily programmed as we have the autonomy, but there is the motivation that happens there, and that sex does have an undercurrent in, in most behaviors and activities, and so does death in many ways, and once you kind of become comfortable with that, you're like, okay, you know, it, I think that what we do doesn't apply to just the bedroom. And I always explain that to people whenever they're like, oh, it's a really specific field. I'm like, I'm not talking about 11 p.m. in your household. I'm talking about 11 a.m. while you're at work. You know what I mean? I'm talking about all day long. You know, how does this part of you fuel you for the better or for the worse? Ah, thanks for validating my career choice. I know, right? We did good. (laughs) (laughs) We did. Um, So before we continue, because I have a few more questions for you, there is the segment of the show where we do group kegels. Main squeeze, squeeze it good. Oh. Oh. Um, I'm instantly yeah. doing them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, AdamandEve.com has sponsored it. They've sponsored you as well. Yes, and I, they have. I love the work that you have done together. In this sponsorship, it's a workout routine. So we're going to clench our pubic oxygeous muscles, our PCs, while doing kegels. Today, how we'll do it is through word association. So I'll say a word that I associate with Adam and Eve, and then we'll go 
through some terms, just back and forth. I'll say one, you say one, I'll say one. When I say one, we'll clench, and when you say one, we'll relax. Okay. Does that sound good? All right. So I need an example of how this would work. So cock rings. And then what would I say? Then you would say whatever comes to mind first. Like if I said first word that comes to mind. Vibrations? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Okay. We're in this. We got it? We in this. Uh, Nipple clamps. Gags. Uh, Leather. Okay. So are we releasing right now or we're tightening on you? (laughs) (laughs) I should be tight right now. You, you are so good at this because I've gotten into the habit of, okay, I'm just going to do the sponsorship. And so I'm going to say the words and, and cause I can hardly do the kegels and the brain at the same time. So I love that you're like, okay, wait, am I squeezing or relaxing? <laughs> right now I've been squeezing this entire time. Like I'm going to relax. So okay. I'm squeeze on you. Yeah. 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 So we sh- let's start again. Um, lingerie. Lace. Thongs. Booty floss. <laughs> Anal sex. Plugs. Beads. Ooh, that's my word. <laughs> I love it. We'll end there. Um, so it goes along with a promotion. If you put in sex pod as your promo code when you check out, you'll get 50% off an eligible item plus free shipping in the U.S. or Canada. Uh, all right. My last question for you. What else do you want the Sexplanations audience to know about sex? That Things that I haven't covered, something that you're really passionate about, maybe something that I've done incorrectly that you can help us understand better. Can you imagine? <laughs> yes. Episode 576, you did. Um, I don't know. I don't think that. <laughs> I honestly have never seen a video or opinion about sex that I'm like, that's wrong. Because I'm always aware that it's that person's frame of references and experiences that brought them to that. And we don't share those things. So we may not share an opinion. And so I'm not really the person to say whether it's right or wrong. Um, it's always funny to me when people write in my videos like, well, I may not agree with everything that you say. I'm like, I didn't ask you to. I've never said disagree with all that I say. Uh, that'd be weird. Um, I think that the most important thing to know is that it never stops. You know, the education never ends and there's never enough videos you can watch about it. And there's never enough channels or different opinions you can take in. It's a deeply enriching part of your life that has improved my life in every conceivable area and has allowed me to improve others' lives and, of course, the relationships that I'm directly involved with and the ones that I'm indirectly involved with. So you're, mm-hmm. you're doing the right things, y'all. Just, I mean, this isn't the time for me to tell you what to do differently. Just keep doing what you're doing, which is tuning into Sexplanations, watching all Lindsay's videos, listening to the podcast, reading your books, doing your homework, getting your notebook out and doing your homework. Um, <laughs> it's all worth it. I definitely just say it's all worth it. Where can they find you? Uh, Shan Booty. Shan, my name is Shannon Boudram, or go by Shan Boudram, uh, and then Shan Booty is my little nickname, but if you just Google that, you'll find, you know, something that might pique your interest. I do a daily podcast on Anchor FM, and I also do YouTube videos frequently, and I write articles frequently, and I have a show right now on Freeform that I'm helping to contribute write for. And I have a show on full screen. So I talk about sex wherever I possibly can. And so I think if you Google my name, you'll find what your cup of tea is. And if you don't, then hopefully you'll find somebody else who is your cup of tea. 
Because you should be drinking tea because it's delicious. <laughs> yeah, you're. I love all the places you are. I love what you're doing. I think that it's absolutely incredible what you give to our discipline of sexology and like it, it that it's not just in this one platform with this one mindset but that you're constantly pushing yourself to learn and you're constantly opening yourselves to other places where you can reach more people and I just admire that so immensely I'm so grateful for you I'm so grateful you came on my podcast I'm so grateful too okay before we go I want to know your homework can you tell me what are you afraid of and what do you need? I Let's see. What comes to mind first, because I haven't put a lot of thought into this, is I am afraid of being in sexual relationships that aren't what I want for other people, that I don't walk the talk as much as I want to. And that's really challenging for me, not because I put an, a stupid amount of pressure on myself, but just because it's hard. It's hard to to do relationships and it's hard to to talk about relationships and not want to hold yourself to to those um, ambitions you have for others. And then what I need, gosh, my needs are so small these days because I've really worked hard to separate my needs from my wants. What I want is for people to check your channel out and <laughs> go read your book. Um, what I need... I probably need a good masturbation session. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, I definitely, I concur with that. I had a great one. I have a balcony and I live on the ninth floor. So we don't have anyone directly across from me. Like there's buildings in the distance. But the other day at night, I just like sat on one of my chairs and just had a really great session with like the cold air up against me. And it felt really, really Oh my nice. gosh. Yeah. You're amazing. It was a great time. <laughs> I love that. I love when people take themselves out of the same physical space. Because oftentimes people will talk about making changes through props, like, oh, add a vibrator or a dildo or handcuffs or whatever that is, but then they're ultimately in their rooms or in their beds. And so I love the geographical changes that people make. So good on you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yay, me getting con <laughs> condoned for my masturbation session. <laughs> yeah, unless you're always on your balcony, in which case. Yes. <laughs> 2 p.m., 2 a.m., don't matter, honey. <laughs> oh, well, thank you for being on this show. You're, you're such an inspiration to me. And I also want to give special thanks to the donations from listeners from our Adam and Eve sponsorship, the production help of, of Complexly Cinema Studios and Count Boogie. And then what I say as my outgoing tagline is Encora Amparo, I'm still learning. Yeah.